Amen. All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number 11. And of course, we are making our way through the gospel of Luke on this uh, series called uh, Journey with Jesus. And uh, in this passage before us tonight, we'll, we'll be in the first 13 verses of Luke chapter number 11. Uh, we have a passage that emphasizes uh, prayer, which I, I think it's interesting because the last section of Luke chapter 10 that we dealt with on Sunday night was a passage that emphasized uh, Bible reading. If you remember, we learned about the importance of sitting at the feet of Jesus, and uh, we learned about Bible reading, and then in the very first section of the next chapter, there's an emphasis on prayer, which goes hand in hand because God wants all of us to have a what we often refer to as a daily devotional life. And in your daily devotional life, there should be a time of Bible reading, that's when God speaks to you, and a time of prayer, when you uh, speak to God. So we see here in Luke chapter 11, uh, this emphasis on, uh, on, on prayer, and we're going to look at that tonight. And uh, I'll, I'll say this, not too long ago, uh, I did a whole series on, on Sunday mornings on the subject of prayer. I did a series called The School of Prayer, and we spent several weeks studying prayer, and uh, fortunately for me, the vast majority of you have already forgotten all of that. So I can just hit some of those things again, and that'll be okay. And even if you haven't forgot it, it's good for you to hear it again, and uh, especially on the subject of prayer. Because I would say that prayer is probably one of the things that Christians do the least of, and it's very important. So we want to learn about this idea of uh, prayer. And we'll start there in verse Number one, the Bible says, and it came to pass as he, this of course is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. It's interesting to me that after the disciples had overheard the Lord Jesus Christ pray, that they made this request, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And uh, the prayer, whatever prayer it was that Jesus was praying at this time, is not recorded in Scripture, but it must have been something very impressive uh, for the disciples to request that Jesus teach them to pray after he got uh, done praying. And it's worth to note uh, that all throughout the Gospels, we never see the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to preach. Uh, We never see the disciples ask Jesus to teach them uh, to perform counseling, uh, to, to plant churches, to, to, to do ministry administration. We, we don't ever see them making these requests, but they did make this one request, Lord, teach us to pray. And that should tell us about the importance of prayer. And here in Luke chapter 11, we see Jesus responding to that request. He's answering their request. They want to learn how to pray, so he teaches them on the subject of prayer. And if you're taking notes tonight, and I, of course, always encourage you to take notes on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write down some things. I want you to notice we we see three different things tonight in regards to prayer. The first one is we see a pattern for prayer, or we see the pattern of prayer. In verse 1, the disciples ask, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And then in verse 2, the Bible says, And he said unto them, When ye pray, say. And And of course, Jesus begins this very famous portion of Scripture known as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, But it's not really the Lord's Prayer 
because it's not the Lord Jesus Christ necessarily praying this. Now, I don't have a problem with calling it the Lord's Prayer. I like calling it the Lord's Prayer, but it's not really the Lord's Prayer. In fact, if you, if you ever want to hear the real Lord's Prayer, you can head on to John chapter 17, where uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is in the Garden of Gethsemane right before He dies, and He prays up to the Father, and that prayer is recorded for us. And we see uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, we get to hear in on His prayer. This is not necessarily the Lord's prayer as much as it is the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ teaching His disciples to pray, and He's teaching His disciples how they ought to pray. You might even call it the disciples' prayer, and it's a prayer that all of us uh, should know as disciples and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Jesus does here is He gives them a pattern for prayer. Now, this prayer the uh, Lord's Prayer, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. This prayer has been turned into a, a, a vain chant that is repeated uh, primarily by the Roman Catholic Church, and other people will do it as well, where they'll just pray this prayer over and over. And the Bible teaches against that. I'll talk about that later uh, in the sermon. But let me just say this by way of introduction, that the, this Lord's Prayer is not a prayer that was meant to be chanted or prayed or uh, just just uh, quoted over and over, but it's meant to give us a pattern. It's supposed to give you an idea of how to structure your prayer. So Jesus gives this prayer, and I want you to notice that there's there's uh, there's five categories that are uh, mentioned in this prayer, and we can use this as a pattern to help us to pray. If you say, I don't know how to pray, that's what the disciples were saying. They were saying, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, okay, well, here's how you should pray uh, after this manner pray is what Matthew says. So in verse 2, he said unto them, when you pray, say, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The first thing I want you to notice in regards to this prayer is that Jesus teaches us to pray and to begin with this idea of God's position. When we go to God in prayer, we should begin with this understanding of acknowledging who God is, beginning with God's position. Notice we don't begin, he doesn't say, okay, pray like this, dear Jesus, I need a raise and I need uh, uh, this and I need that. And and here's the thing, there's nothing wrong with asking for for, uh, specific things. In fact, we're going to learn that uh, in this passage right now. But when we begin prayer, we should begin with this idea of who God is and God's position in our lives. Notice what the Bible says. He says, God, Jesus teaches this, and, and this is so common to us that we often don't think much about it, but in, uh, in, in, in the ancient world, for Jesus to, to say, look, you can approach God and speak to Him this way. When, we, when ye pray, say, and He teaches them to approach God and to say, Our Father. See, we see this position, and you say, what is this position that God holds? It is a God who is intimate. It is a God who is near to us. We were taught by the Lord Jesus Christ to approach God. Uh, You say, well, God is infinite, and God is powerful, and God is majestic, and all that is true, and we're not taken away from that. In fact, we'll see that uh, uh, here in a minute as well. But Jesus begins by teaching us that you and I have the wonderful privilege as the children of God to approach God as a father in an intimate uh, type of way. Keep your place there in Luke chapter 11, if you would. Go with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. You're there in Luke, just flip over past the book of John, Acts, Romans, Romans chapter number uh, 8 and verse number 15. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. 
Romans 8.15, the Bible says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Notice what the Bible says, Romans 8.15, But ye have received the spirit of adoption. When you and I got saved, we uh, put off the spirit of bondage, which is what sin leads us into, and we receive the spirit of adoption. Notice what Paul says here. He says, Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That term Abba is defined, the word Abba is literally a transliteration uh, from uh, the Greek. It's not an English word, it's just transliterated, meaning that it's taken directly from the Greek language into uh, English and put here as Abba, but it's defined as, uh, as a, a intimate, as a close, as a common uh, way of referring to a father. It would be similar to in our English uh, using the, the term dad or uh, maybe for a little child using the term daddy. And here Paul teaches that you and I, we get to come to the God of the universe and cry unto him, Abba, Father. Cry to him as our father, but even more intimately than that, as our dad or as your daddy in order to be able to go to him. So Jesus begins with this idea, go back to Luke, that we get to, uh, we start with the position of God, God's position in prayer. And we begin with this idea of the God who is intimate. He is not afar off. He is not uh, uh, distracted. He's not uninterested in what you and I uh, have to, uh, are going through. And look, oftentimes we don't pray. If we were honest, most people don't pray. I don't think anybody would say they pray uh, enough, or I don't think any Christian would feel like they pray uh, enough. Uh, but the, the truth is this, that you and I uh, would, would pray if we saw some value in it. The truth is, we're, oh, ye of little faith, we just don't really believe. We might not ever say that, but we don't really believe that there's any value in actually going to God in prayer. But Jesus begins and says, look, God is your heavenly Father. He cares about you. He is the God who is intimate. But unlike your earthly father, he is not only intimate, he is also infinite. Notice verse 2, Luke chapter 11 and verse 2. And he said unto them, when ye pray, say, our father, that's intimate. Notice these words, which are in heaven. Hallowed. The word hallowed means to separate, to put apart, to sanctify. Hallowed be thy name. He, this idea, which is he's our father, yes, that is intimate. But when we say, which are in heaven, hallowed be thy name, that is an understanding that he is infinite, that he is the, the, the God of heaven, that he is our father, which is in heaven. His name is to be reverenced. Hallowed be thy name. Now keep your place there in Luke, if you would. Go to Isaiah 37, if you would. In the Old Testament, towards the end of the Old Testament, you find all those major books of the Bible, those major prophets, they're all clustered together. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Uh, Find Isaiah 37. Isaiah 37, and look at verse 15. And listen, we should always be very cautious of how we approach God. We need to make sure we approach God reverently. Be careful about how you, even when you're not praying, just be careful about how you speak about God. Amen. The Bible, I mean, one of the Ten Commandments tells us to not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Amen. Meaning that we should not just use His name in a way that has no purpose. Vain means for something to be empty or shallow. That definitely means that you should not be using His name as a cuss word 
when you, you know, uh, uh, hurt yourself or uh, stub your toe or something. But even, even, even further than that, we should just be careful. We should always be careful about approaching God in a reverent way. To be honest with you, and I, you know, I, I'll say this, and I, I don't know that I'm 100% perfect on this, but I don't even necessarily like to just use the term Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying as a cuss word, I mean, definitely you should never do that. But I'm saying even in a reference, you'll, you'll, you'll notice that oftentimes I'll refer to our Savior as the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's just something about being reverent with your words, something about being respectful with your words. When we approach God, we approach Him as the intimate Father and as the infinite God. Our Father, which are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And by the way, if you got an infinite view of God, it would drive you to pray more. Amen. Isaiah 37, look at verse 15. Notice how Hezekiah, in Isaiah 37, we have a beautiful prayer by Hezekiah. And notice, notice what the Bible says in verse 15. And Hezekiah prayed unto the Lord, saying, and I won't take the time to go through the whole thing, but Hezekiah just got a letter from the Assyrian king. And there's this beautiful picture where he brings the letter, he takes the letter with all these threatenings and, and these threats of, 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 of the Assyrian king coming to destroy them. And he goes to the house of the Lord, and the Bible tells us that he lays the letter before God. And he begins to pray, verse 15, and Hezekiah prayed unto the Lord, saying, notice how Hezekiah begins his prayer. By the way, this was a prayer that was answered. Notice how he begins his prayer. He says, O Lord of hosts. The word hosts means of, of, of armies, of military. He's, he's coming to God with a military problem, King Hezekiah, and he acknowledges God as the Lord of hosts. Notice, he says, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwellest between the cherubims. Notice, he says, God of Israel, a personal God, an intimate God. But then he says, that dwellest between the cherubims. That's Hezekiah's way of saying, which are in heaven. He says, thou art God. Even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. And again, he's praying to God about the Assyrian kingdom coming to threaten uh, uh, his nation. Uh, Hezekiah is king. And he comes to God and he acknowledges that he's, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwellest between the cherubims. Thou art the God, even thou alone, and all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. He's the creator God. Notice verse 20. We won't go through the whole thing, but look at verse 20. Isaiah 37, verse 20. Now therefore, O Lord our God, save us, that's the request, from his hand. Notice he says, for your glory. I love this little phrase. We have it as a theme for our church. That all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. So you see this prayer. You see how Hezekiah comes to God as an intimate God, but as an infinite God. He's the Lord of the hosts. He's the God of Israel. He's the, our Father which are in heaven. He's the one that dwells between the, the cherubims. Thou alone, he says, thou art the God, even thou alone, and all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. So we begin with this idea of God's position. Go back to uh, Luke chapter 11. And you know, in Matthew, and we're going to look at Matthew later on tonight, but in Matthew, when we see the same passage of the Lord's Prayer, it begins with this idea Jesus tells us not to pray vain and repetitious prayers. He says, because before you begin, even begin to pray, 
He says, your father knows what things you have need of. He says, your father in heaven already knows the things that you have need of. And then he says, when you go to pray, pray like this, our father which art in heaven. And oftentimes people have asked me, and I've wondered myself, you know, why does God expect us or want us to pray if he already knows what we need? What would be the purpose of prayer? And there's many purposes, but I would submit to you that one purpose of prayer is this, that when you and I begin our our time in prayer with this idea of God's position, that he is intimate and he is infinite, that he is the God which is in heaven, that he hears our prayers. Hey, one good reason for prayer is just to remind ourselves of who God is. To remind our, you say, I've got all these problems, I've got all these issues, and it seems like the whole world's falling apart. Well, when you come to God in prayer and you begin with this idea, our Father, which art in heaven, it reminds us of who God is of how infinite and how intimate the fact that you and I have access to that Heavenly Father. So Jesus begins with this idea of God's position. Then I want you to notice, secondly, in this pattern of prayer, then we see God's purpose. We see God's position in prayer, and then we see God's purpose for prayer. Notice there, again in verse 2, And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Then I want you to notice these two uh, phrases coming up. He says, Thy kingdom come. Before, Before we get to asking about this and that, asking for this request and asking for that request, before we get to any of that, he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. See, oftentimes we uh, believe, and we maybe we don't believe this, but we, we do believe this, we just don't acknowledge it, but we, we approach prayer as though prayer is somehow our time where we can try to wrestle God down and try to align God to our will and try to get God to do what we want Him to do, to try to get God on our agenda to get God to do our will. But Jesus says, no, first remember God's position, our Father which art in heaven, and then remember our purpose in prayer, and the purpose in prayer is this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. And I would just submit this to you. What if prayer had more to do with you lining up your will to God's than God lining up his will to you? Thy kingdom come. What does that mean? That means I'm not building my own kingdom. I'm not building my own ministry here. I'm not building my own business and my own life. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in building the kingdom of God. Thy will be done. I'm not pushing my own agenda. I'm pushing God's agenda. That's the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is not to try to get God to do what we want. No, it's for us to be conformed to the will of our Father. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Then notice, thirdly, we see God's provision. This is usually where you and I begin prayer. But this is the third step in the pattern of prayer given by Jesus. We saw God's position. We saw God's purpose. Then notice God's provision, verse 3. Give us day by day our daily bread. Give us day by day our daily bread. We have this idea that you and I, look, there's nothing wrong with going to God and asking Him to provide for our physical needs. Here, we have this idea of of God providing for our needs and that we are to go to Him 
and ask for him to meet our needs. Keep your place in Luke. If you would, go with me to the book of James, James chapter 1. If you start at the book of Revelation, go backwards. You have Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, 1st Peter, then the book of James. Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, 1st Peter, then James. Do me a favor, when you get there, when you get to James, put a ribbon or a bookmark there, because we're going to leave there and we're going to come back to it later on, so I'd like you to get there quickly. But while you go there, let me just read to you from the book of Proverbs, because it's interesting to me that when you notice this Luke 11.3, give us day by day our daily bread. It's quoted in Matthew as give us this day our daily bread. I just want you to notice that we are not taught, and, and this is not something that you and I necessarily even understand as Americans, because we, I mean, if, if, you, if you were born in the United States of America or if you were brought to the United States of America, you have won the lottery um, when it comes to, to, to mankind. But I want you to notice that we are not commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ to pray, give us this day our weekly bread. Or give us this day our monthly bread. Or give me a storehouse full of bread, God, so I never have to worry about it again. No, we are commanded and we are asked to pray every day that God would meet our physical needs every day. Give us this day our daily bread, is what Matthew says. And there's this limiting factor in regards to what God... And look, the Christian life is not a life that is supposed to be about just gathering as much bread as possible. You say, well, what's the Christian life about? Serving God. What's the goal? God. Well, what, how, do, how does bread play in? I just need enough bread today. I just need enough bread today to feed myself and feed my family so we can serve God today. You say, what about tomorrow? Tomorrow we'll pray for the daily bread. We'll pray for the daily bread that we need. We'll just pray that God provides what we need to serve Him. Proverbs 30 and verse 8, you have to turn there, I'll just read this for you. Here's what the, 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 the prayer for provision from Proverbs says. It says, remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. This is the Christian prayer. I would never pray that. We should get right with God. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient. The word convenient means suitable, appropriate, convenient for me. You say, well, we shouldn't be praying for, for look, the Bible says to, to, that don't pray for poverty and don't pray for rich. You say, well, is there something wrong with being rich? Nothing wrong with being rich, but there is something wrong with wanting to be rich. Now, if you get up every day and from a genuine heart say, God, give me neither poverty nor riches, and then you go out and work every day as God commanded you, and God's blessing, and he gives you a hundredfold, and he blesses you immensely, hey, then, then praise God for that. But if you wake up every day with this idea, I need, I, need a, I, I need a factory full of bread, you're not right with God. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient, suitable, appropriate for me. You say, why? Here's why. Lest I be full and deny thee. You know, the danger of success, what I've learned over the last 12 years of ministry, that is that the danger of success is that when people get full, they get full of themselves. When they show up to church and they're broke and they're struggling and things aren't going well in life and they're humble, but then they get that job or then they start that business and then they start making some money and all of a sudden, they don't need God anymore. You'd be better off being broke and right with God. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? 
or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. There's this limiting factor. We should limit what we want. We should want just what God wants us to have. We should want, look, you say, what do you want? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You should get to the point in your Christian life where what you want is God. That the goal is God in your life. There's this acknowledgement of where the blessings from God come. Look at James 1 and verse 17. James 1, 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no bearableness, neither shadow of turning. Everything you have came from God. Every good gift. And look, look, and God can take it away like that. We see God's provision. And I'd be careful about testing God with that. An emergency room where your loved one or your little child is being rolled in is not where you want to be getting right with God. We should be praying every day for God's provision. Then I want you to notice, fourthly, we see God's pardon. Verse 14, keep your place there in James. Go, Go to Luke chapter 11, verse 4. We saw God's position in prayer. We saw God's purpose for prayer. We saw God's provision through prayer. We see God's pardon in prayer. Notice Luke chapter 11 and verse 4. Jesus says, and forgive us our sins. We like that, don't we? And forgive us our sins. Here's the caveat. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Well, wait a minute. No, I don't forgive debts. Well, these, these two things are connected. Now, let me just be clear about something. This is not referring to forgiveness of sins in relations to salvation. Obviously, if you confess the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saved. But this is in reference to forgiveness of sins in our daily living. That we should not be the type of person who is holding grudges and being bitter towards people. Obviously, if people are sinning against us, then that, those are things that need to be dealt with. But once they genuinely get right with God, they repent and they seek forgiveness, we should be a forgiving people. And, and God says, hey, look, as you forgive others, I will forgive you and forgive us our sins For we also uh, forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Go to Matthew, if you would. Matthew chapter 6. If you go backwards uh, from Luke, you have Mark. And then Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew 6, we have the the, the same Lord's Prayer from Matthew. Notice how Matthew words it. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses... Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. You say, what is this, what is this forgiveness principle about? Here, here's what it is. Again, it's not about salvation. It's about our daily living. And the idea is this, that God will be as merciful and gracious with us as we are merciful and gracious with others. God, look, don't you need God to be patient with you? Well, God will be as patient with you as you are with others. And the flip side of that is that God will come down as harshly and as strongly with us as we do with others. God will be as impatient with us as we are with others. If you'd like, keep your finger there in Matthew 6. I know you have your place in James, and we're going to come back to Matthew as well, but go back to Luke chapter 11 to our text. 
We see God's position in prayer, God's purpose for prayer, God's provision through prayer, God's pardon in prayer. I want you to notice, fifthly tonight, we're looking at this pattern of prayer. This is how you and I should pray. We see God's protection through prayer. Now, in Luke chapter 11 and verse 4, I want you to notice this little phrase. The Bible says, and forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. I want you to notice this little phrase. When we were going through the uh, school of prayer, I, I made a big deal about this, and I'm going to do it again. This little phrase says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here we see a prayer of protection. It is our job to pray for God's provision, for God's pardon, and for God's protection. And we see this little phrase, and lead us not into temptation. Now, I've, I've had many people through the years ask me about this phrase, and I myself have wondered about this phrase, because when you read this little phrase, it sounds like the request we're making is, is Jesus, don't lead us into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. And almost like we're asking God to stop leading us into temptation as though, as though if that's something that God was doing when he says, lead us not into temptation. Now, if that causes confusion because the Bible teaches the exact opposite of that. Go to James. Go back to James chapter 1 if you would. Look at verse 13. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, it's not a request that we're making to God, asking God to no longer lead us into temptation as though he was leading us into temptation. Because the Bible clearly teaches that God does not lead us into temptation. James 1.13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. And the reference is that he neither tempteth he any man with evil. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man with evil. So when we say lead us not into temptation, we're not asking, God, could you possibly stop leading me into temptation? Because you've been leading me into a lot of temptation lately. It's not really helping me. That's not the request that's being made because God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man with evil. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. And here's the truth. The truth is this. You're there in James 1.13. Look at verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn. You see that word drawn? The word drawn means pulled. When he is drawn away, notice, of his own lust and entice. The truth is this. Not only does God not lead you in temptation, the truth is this. When you and I are led into temptation, we're leading ourselves into temptation. Because every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So not only does the Bible not teach that God leads us into temptation, but it teaches that we lead ourselves into temptation. And here's what I need you to understand. When you find yourself at odds with temptation, being tempted by sin, realize this, you led yourself there. No one led you there but you. Every man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. So you say, well, what about this little phrase then? Lead us not into temptation. Keep your place right there in Hebrews. Go back to Luke. And there's nothing wrong with, with the King James Bible, by the way. Amen. It's perfect and it's, it's inerrant and it's inspired. Amen. But th there might be something wrong with the way you and I understand it. And it might help us to just kind of break that statement into two parts. Because the, the statement, lead us not into temptation, 
is broken into two things. See, we think of it, the whole thing as a request, lead us not into temptation. The whole statement is not a request, lead us not into temptation. Part of the statement is a request. Part of the statement is a recognition. See, the way that you and I maybe should read it, not that there's anything wrong with the Bible, but just for our own understanding, is this. Not to pray, lead us not into temptation, but to pray, lead us. Lead us. That's the request. The request is lead us. Why would you request lead us? Here's why. Because when I lead myself, I lead myself into temptation. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So the request is lead us. The recognition is when you lead us, God, it'll be not into temptation. Because the person that's been leading me thus far keeps leading me into temptation. So it's not this request, lead us not into temptation. It's a request, lead us, because I keep leading myself into temptation. And if you would lead me, Lord, I know that it would be not into temptation. So it's a request and a recognition. Lead us. That's the request. Lead us not into temptation. We're asking Jesus to lead us. So that we will stop being led into temptation because when we lead ourselves, we're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. Go to Hebrews. If you kept your place in James, you have the book of Hebrews right next to it. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Lead us not into temptation. Hebrews chapter 2. Look at verse 18. Jesus is the person, the perfect person to pray to during times of temptation. Lead us not into temptation, because I've been leading myself into temptation. I'm asking you to lead me in a different direction. Lead us, and I know when you lead us, it'll be not into temptation. And then here's the, the continuation of that prayer, but deliver us from evil. Hebrews 2.18, for in that he, referring to Jesus, himself had suffered being tempted... He is able to succor, the word succor means to aid or help or to provide relief. He is able to succor them that are tempted. Because he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to help you when you are tempted. Go to chapter 4 and verse 15. Hebrews 4 and verse 15. For we have not an high priest, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the high priest, and, and because he's the high priest, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. Here's the difference between him and you and I, yet without sin. He was tempted. Look, we don't have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He understands the feelings of our infirmities because he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And for that reason, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We ought to pray, lead us. Not into temptation. I've been leading myself into temptation. I need you to lead me because I know when you lead me, it'll be not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, let's just be, let's just be real honest. Here, here's, the, here's the real reason you and I don't pray. And here's the reason that many will never pray this prayer. Genuinely, they might repeat it as a vain chant. Because it's hard to genuinely pray this prayer 
Lead us not into temptation when you're actively planning to go fulfill a temptation. I mean, you can't pray, Lord, help me not to drink alcohol today when you're planning on after work, I'm going to go get a beer. Do you understand? So this, this prayer, you say, this is why God wants you to pray, this, pray, pray every day. Not pray this prayer, but pray this pattern of prayer. Every day we're praying, uh, 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 acknowledging God's position and, and, and praying for God's purpose and praying for his provision and for his pardon and for his protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the pattern for prayer. Go back to Luke chapter 11. We spent a lot of time there, and that's okay. I wanted to emphasize that. But I want you to notice, number one in this, because remember, the, the, the disciples asked, Lord, teach us to pray. So the first thing we saw was the pattern of prayer. We saw the pattern, God's position, intimate and infinite. His purpose, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. His provision, his provision, give us this day our daily bread. It all comes from God, and there should be a limiting factor there, daily bread. His pardon, as we forgive others, he will forgive us, not for salvation, but in our daily day lives. How, he, how we treat others, he will treat us. How merciful we are, how gracious, how patient, how loving, that's how he'll be to us. God's protection, lead us, because the person that's been leading me has been leading me astray. Lead us, please, not into temptation. Then I want you to notice, secondly tonight, Jesus teaches on the persistence of prayer. We saw the pattern of prayer. Then he teaches on the persistence of prayer. This is in, he gives this idea of persistence with this little parable that we find in Luke chapter 11, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. Let's look at it real quickly. Notice verse 5. And he said unto them, this is him continuing his lesson on prayer, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves. For, the word for means because, because a friend of mine in his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Here, we, what the, the takeaway from this first part of the parable is that Jesus is emphasizing our inability. He says, look, this guy in this parable, he had a need that he could not meet. He had a situation, a friend of his had showed up at midnight and he didn't have the means to be able to feed him. So he goes to a friend and asks the friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. So Jesus acknowledges or, or highlights the fact that what often drives us to prayer and what should drive us to prayer is our inability. We should realize that we are unable to do what we need to do without God. And that inability should drive us to importunity. Look at verse 7. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, for the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity. See that word importunity? That word means persistence, especially to the point of annoyance. If you have children, you know what that means. Yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as his need. See, here's what Jesus is teaching. Our inability should lead us, should lead our importunity, our persistence. Now let me just say something about this parable. And there's another parable in Luke 18 uh, that, that, that's similar. And let me say this about the parable. I don't believe that this is a parable of comparison 
I don't, and what I mean by that is I don't believe that God is comparing himself to this selfish friend who will not rise to give his friend. It's not a parable of comparison. It is a parable instead of contrast. What Jesus is saying is that if someone would be willing to persistently uh, uh, bother their friend who is unwilling to help, if you would just be willing to persistently ask your physical parents, children, for something over and over, when they're telling you, no, I don't want to do it, I don't want to buy you that, if you would persistently ask a friend for something, persistently ask a boss for something who doesn't want to do it, he says, then how much more should we persist in our prayers to our Heavenly Father who wants to meet our needs? And the fact that He wants to meet our needs will become very obvious here in a minute. Jesus is saying that if someone would be willing to be persistent with his friend who's unwilling, how much more should we be persistent with God who is willing? And you'll notice in the next few verses that that becomes very clear. So we see the persistence of prayer. Our inability should drive our importunity. We should bring our problems to God. You don't have to turn there. You just stay there in Luke 11. Philippians 4, 6. I'll just read this for you. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Someone said oftentimes our prayer, oftentimes prayer becomes a last resort instead of our first resource. And we should bring all of our problems to God. So we saw, number one, the pattern of prayer. We saw, number two, the persistence of prayer. Our inability should drive our importunity. And then thirdly, tonight, we see the promise of prayer. Notice there, there in verse 9. And I say unto you, ask. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. I've brought this up to you before. But I want you to notice, you see that little acronym I like to call it the prayer acrostic. He says, ask, seek, knock. If you notice the first uh, letter of each word, spells the word ask. Because prayer is asking. I'm not sure if you kept your place in James still, but but go back to James chapter 4 if you would. James chapter 4. By the way, let me say this. The Bible teaches, whenever I read this, I always think this. He says, ask and it shall be given you. And prayer is, the word prayer literally means to ask. That's why the word ask is emphasized in, the, in, in regards to prayer. But I want you to notice Jesus emphasizes that ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. The idea is this, that we need to put some feet to our prayers. Look, you say, you say what do you mean? Here's what I mean. If you're unemployed and you're praying for a job, it doesn't mean you stay at, you know, you sleep until 10 a.m. every day, roll out of bed at 10 a.m. and have a bowl of Lucky Charms, get on your knees and pray, Lord, please give me a job, you know, submit one email, and then, you know, for the next two weeks, people ask you, how's your job search going? Well, I, I submitted something, I'm praying about it. No, you know, we need to pray that God answers our prayer, but then, you know, you need to go seek, and you need to go knock. And you need to fill some applications. And, you know, when it comes to prayer, look, we ought to work as though it all depends on us. And we ought to pray as though it all depends on God because both of those are true. It all depends on God. Every good gift comes from above. But God's not going to bless laziness. 
Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Amen. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. To him that knocketh it shall be opened. Here's the, 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 the promise of prayer. It's this, that if you ask and you move in that direction, God will meet you there. James 4, 2, ye lust. The word lust means desire. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war. Yet ye have not. Here's why. Ye have not. You know why you don't have any answered prayers? You say, I don't have any answered prayers. I don't pray because God doesn't answer my prayers. Well, ye have not because ye ask not. And when you do ask, James says, you ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. Obviously, we have to pray according to the will of God. You can't just pray that God just gives you things that are stupid and ridiculous. 1 John 5, you're there uh, from James, go, go to 1 John, 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st John. I don't understand why God won't give me a million dollars, because you'll be full and you'll deny God, that's why. You say, then how do I get the million dollars? <laughs> Let me explain this to you, because I don't think people really understand this, this, this how, how God works. When you want the million dollars, God won't give you the million dollars. God will only give the million dollars. Now, you can lie and cheat and steal to get the million dollars, and it'll be cursed money. But if you want God to give it to you, because God gives. I mean, look at the Bible. Many rich people were blessed by God. But God only gives to those who genuinely don't care. Now, you can't say, God, I don't care, when you secret. I mean, God knows your heart. I'm going to try to fake God out. I don't care. It doesn't work that way. Here's the funny thing about it. When you genuinely stop caring, God may give it to you, but by then you won't care. And in fact, when you genuinely stop caring, you might just become a pastor and go into the ministry (laughs) and start doing something that doesn't matter financially. God will never give it to you while you want it. He won't give it to you. Now, the devil will. He'll offer you the whole world if you'll just bow down to him. But in that process, you'll ruin your marriage, destroy your family, destroy your testimony. 1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. That's, you know what the promise, here's the promise. The promise is that the God of the universe will hear your prayers if you ask. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Go back to Luke chapter 11. While you turn there, let me just read for you from James 33. Here's what, or excuse me, from Jeremiah 33. Here's what the prophet Jeremiah said. He said, call unto me. This is speaking on behalf of God. He said, call unto me and I will answer thee. And show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. So we see the children's request, ask, seek, knock. And then I want you to notice, we see the father's willingness. Verse 11, Luke 11, 11. And if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is, is, that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? You know, this is fathers. Your, your jokester buddy might do this. But a father, if his child genuinely is asking for, for bread, for fish, he's not going to go find some sandwich or something and then put a rock in there. Watch this. 
If a son shall ask bread, you know, your, your little roommate will do that, but not a father. And if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is his, a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he, for a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Notice, I love this verse, verse 13. If ye then being evil, that little phrase being evil there is referring to our sin nature. If you being a sinner, if you being corrupt, if you being, if you existing within a sin nature that is sinful, you in a corrupt state, in a sin nature, would not give a stone to your child who's hungry or a scorpion to your child who's asking for an egg or a serpent to your child who's asking for a, a fish. He says, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? You say, why is it a reference here to the Holy Spirit? And I could, we could spend a whole, the whole night on that. Go, go, to, go to Matthew, if you would, Matthew chapter 6. But he, it, when you got saved, you got the filling of the Spirit. You got the seal of the Spirit. But the Bible says that we are to be filled with the Spirit. And you say, well, I don't know what to pray. Pray for the filling of the Spirit. You say, why? Here's why. Because the filling of the Spirit will lead you in all truth. The filling of the Spirit, the Bible says, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Holy Spirit will guide you in truth. The Holy Spirit will give you wisdom. Look, the filling of the Spirit is literally the answer to all your prayers. Because the Holy Spirit will guide you and direct you in regards to what to do. Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 7. In Matthew 6, we see a parallel passage to Luke. We're we're almost done. We're going to look at this and, and and be done. Here's the thing about the Lord's Prayer. We spent a lot of time on the Lord's Prayer. We saw God's position in prayer, intimate and infinite. We saw God's purpose in prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We saw God's provision for prayer. Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. We saw God's pardon in prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors. We saw God's protection in prayer. Lead us not into temptation. The thing about the Lord's Prayer is that we're not supposed to pray the Lord's Prayer. It's funny because this is the prayer. This is one of the prayers that almost every people pray when they pray a prayer, or chant a prayer. This is the prayer they, they pray. But Jesus, in the context, right before he gave us the Lord's prayer, he said, verse seven, Matthew six, verse seven. But when you pray, use not vain. The word vain means empty repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. So he says, look, don't pray the Lord's Prayer. But you say, then why does he give us the Lord's Prayer? Here's why, verse 9. After this manner. You see the word manner there? The, manner, the word manner means this is how you should pray. This is what prayer should look like. After this manner, therefore, pray you. And here's where I want to encourage you. Because, look, I, I get it. You preach on prayer, and, you know, everybody, if you're not a psychopath, everybody feels conviction. Right? Because none of us are praying as we should. But maybe you're here this evening and you're like, I don't pray at all. I don't even know how to pray. I feel like the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. I don't pray at all. Because here, unfortunately and sadly, the, 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 the honest truth, and I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to help you. Most Christians never pray, ever. So I want to encourage you to begin a time of prayer. You say, I don't even know where I would start. Let me, let me just help you. 
And I'm not saying you need to do this for the rest of your life. I'm just saying here's a good place you could start. I want to encourage you to pray through. I didn't say to pray the Lord's Prayer, but to pray through the Lord's Prayer every day. To pray through the Lord's Prayer. You say, what does that mean? That means go through the Lord's Prayer as a, an outline. You're taking notes tonight, right? <laughs> pray through the Lord's and just pray through those categories. I didn't say to pray that prayer vainly, repetitiously, but you, after this manner, therefore pray ye, pray through the Lord's Prayer. It will literally take five minutes. You say, I don't know how to pray. Well, here's how you pray. You open up your Bible, Matthew 6, 9. I, I would go to Matthew 6 because that's the, the passage we're most familiar with. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then pray, God, thank you for being my heavenly Father. I know you love me and I know you care about me. I know that you're not only intimate, but you are also infinite, and you are the God of heaven, and I'm asking you for these requests. Then you look down and read, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, and you say, Lord, please help me. I've got some requests. Please help me to align my will to your will. That in my life, your kingdom would come and your will would be done. Then, Lord, let me pray for provision. Give us this day our daily bread, and take some time to pray for your provisions. Lord, you know I've got this bill coming up and I've got this situation, I've got that situation and pray for your provision and then, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Take some time to confess sin before God and ask God to help you with that person that's irritating you or that person that you're not being patient with and ask God to forgive you of your uh, uh, sins and keep a short list with God and then for protection, Lord, lead us. Please today help me to be led of you not into temptation because I'm leading myself into temptation. God, lead us and deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and power and glory forever. Amen. And if you say, I don't know how to pray, I would encourage you, take the next seven days, five minutes, and pray through the Lord's Prayer. I didn't say to pray the Lord's Prayer. We're not Catholic. Not vain repetitions. But use the Lord's Prayer as an outline because when the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, he said, here's how you should pray. Here's what your prayers should look like. Acknowledge God's position. Acknowledge God's purpose in your life. Align yourself to him. Pray for provision. Pray for pardon. Pray for protection. Maybe you can try to pray through the Lord's Prayer. Let's bow here tonight, Lord, of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we really do thank you that you are the Almighty God. And we thank you that we have the privilege to come to you in an intimate way to cry unto you, Abba, Father, Lord, I pray you'd help us. Lord, I pray that there'd be a, a, a church full of people that tomorrow morning would pray, lead us not into temptation. And genuinely believe that. Well, I guess I can't do what I was planning on doing later on because I'm asking God to lead us not into temptation. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive our, those who sin against us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn to pray, to be a praying people. It's, it's such an unused skill in Christianity. Lord, I pray you'd help us to learn to pray. And if somebody doesn't know where to start, help them to start praying through the Lord's Prayer. Not praying the Lord's Prayer, but praying, praying through it, using those, that structure to lead them through a time of prayer. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you. If there's anything we can do for you, please let us know. Um,